to another episode of Grumpy Old Game Men and Their Dogs. It is episode 97, day 305 here in the Zen Room. My name is Patrick Finn, but I am not here tonight with Tommy Gibbons. Seems the old boy threw his back out and is now immobilized. We're sending our positive thoughts to you, Tommy. So in his stead, sitting in tonight as my co-host, is none other but Avery Bryce Dallas Howard Powell. Hello! <laughs> and how are you tonight, Avery? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing okay. How was your Halloween? Halloween, it was nice. It was quiet. You didn't do anything? I did absolutely nothing. I live in a basement apartment. I didn't want to do anything. Okay. I had two weddings the two weeks prior to Halloween. So I was out both weekends. I just wanted to be in. I watched Trick or Treat. I got a bottle of whiskey. (laughs) I got drunk, watched horror movies. It was delightful. Good for you. Now, we just stayed here, you know, answering the door for the kitties and stuff. Although it's this, it's not the same anymore. I was going to say, did you get many? I've heard we, from a lot of people. They, it was probably the peak was between like 4 and 7 o'clock. Okay. The latest we had someone come was a group of people that came around quarter to 9. Oh, God. And like before that was like an hour in between. That's so fucking it's, early. It's a shame that... I mean, I understand because now these towns and these schools hold all these Halloween events, usually before Halloween. Yeah. So by the time the holiday comes, these kids don't feel like going trick-or-treating, I guess. And between all these, like, trunk-or-treat events that Mm -hmm. they're holding at schools. Exactly. And it's a post-COVID world. People don't want to be in big crowds anymore, but it's... It's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. I mean, number one, one, the one thing I noticed most of all is don't teenagers go trick-or-treating anymore? Because we didn't have any teenage kids that I can remember. It was all like little kids who came to the door. I know. And when I was a teenager, I was trick-or-treating up through senior, my senior year in high school, for God's sake. I think the last year I trick-or-treated, I was 16, 17. Right? It's fucking, it's free candy. Why not go get it? But you know what a big difference is, and I realized that last night when i was trick-or-treating back all those years ago back in the 60s and 70s i went out with my neighborhood friends yeah all in the neighborhood kids today don't have that they don't have neighborhood friends that much anymore they have their friends from school or from online and stuff they don't go out and do these things like we did back then you know and it's a shame yeah even back in pennsylvania i noticed the difference when i moved up here but like you were friends with anybody 10 minutes walking right from your from your house. Yeah. And when I moved up here, I, I had like three friends. All of them lived 30 minutes away from me to, you know, to go out and trick or treat with these folks. Right. It's like, okay, so who's driving where? And then you know, it's this whole Michigas now that's just, oh, God. I know. Can't be bothered. No, I know. It's a shame. It really is a shame. It's not the same anymore. No. Especially when you see all these homes that decorate for the holiday. Yeah. And then no one comes to the homes, you know? No, no one comes out on Halloween anymore. It's such a shame. It is a shame. It's a dying tradition, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was that. And then I had my auditions for Times Square Angel and cast my full cast. Yes. And I'm just going to say, put this out there to any of the Long Island theater owners out there. Hold auditions. Please, hold auditions. Uh, uh, why, why am I saying that? Because with this audition, with this show that I'm directing Times Square Angel, I precast five of the roles. And I had other roles 
to fill, like eight other roles to yeah. fill. So I had to have auditions because I ran out of people to ask beforehand if they because it was a bad time for them and everything. Of course. Had the auditions and a bunch of people had shown up, some who I had not worked with before, but I knew from seeing them at the theaters, other people I had never seen before. And I was able to fill the rest of my cast with most of the people who showed up for the audition. I showed up, I, I, I put in a newbie, someone coming to her first audition, came, yeah. came down and she did a great job. So I cast her. Yes. Uh, theaters... There's plenty of talent out there. Just let them come and audition for you, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know what? They're going to be shows in the future. I'm still going to precast some roles. Because some roles are so important, you can't always wait till the auditions yeah, to precast them. But if you got a chance, audition for these roles. And actors, when you see their auditions, go down go for them. Audition. Don't God. wait for a theater or some director to call you up and say, hey, do you want to be in this show? Go out there. Show yourself, you yeah. know? I love auditioning. I feel like I'm one of the only people I know. I love going down to an audition, and especially with a new director that I haven't worked with. I like with. acting auditions. I never like singing auditions. Oh, singing auditions are the worst. Yeah. I hate singing auditions. But for acting and, and working with a new person, mm -hmm. it's always just such... Even if you don't get cast, it's a great it's experience, a experience to have. Right? How to work with new directors. Yeah. You know, get your foot in the door at a new theater. Exactly. Go out audition. Exactly. Well, before we go into our regular segments, we just got some late-breaking news about mm. the House of Representatives failed to reach the two-thirds vote requirement to expel Congressman George Santos <sighs> from the House. So I still have this professional lawyer and con artist as my congressman. Of course. I I think a point, and what surprised me was, as like 24, there were like, mo, a lot of, actually a lot of the Republicans, there were some Republicans who voted to expel him. Yeah. A lot of the Democrats, I'm surprised there were like 31 Democrats that voted not to expel him. Yeah. But a point that was made was that if he was expelled, he would have been the first congressman expelled from the House since the Civil War without having a criminal conviction. Yeah. Which is true, he's only been indicted, he, but we also know he's a professional liar, and this man has lied about everything about himself. He's not fit to serve in office. But I guess the standard the House is going to use is, oh, you need a criminal conviction first. Of course. So, well, like I said, he's facing a couple of indictments, so good luck there, George. We can only hope. <laughs> and I can't wait to see this vote happen again. So on that note, I guess we will move on to our next segment... Yes, it's time for a little heavy petting. That's it. You've never heard that sound cue before, have you? I don't think you? I've heard the new sound cue. Yes, Tommy was complaining about the old one, so I was like, "All right, I'm gonna get this one." That's a great new sound cue. Thank you. It's very funny. Thank you very much. And tonight for our first story, this is a story I usually would not bring up with Tommy because he doesn't like these kind of stories. But on Tuesday, a 65-year-old South Carolina man was walking through his neighborhood when he was attacked and mauled to death by two pit bulls. Oh my God. There weren't a lot of details in the news stories I was reading about this as to how the dogs were out or anything. Yeah, or I'm sure. 
But it doesn't, from what is being reported so far, it doesn't seem like this man did anything to antagonize dogs. Yeah. He was just walking through the neighborhood. Well, that's the issue with a lot of pit bulls, is that they're trained to be these aggressive dogs. They get their ears clipped, their tails clipped, so they look really threatening, and then people take them to a junkyard or whatever and treat them like shit, so they're really aggressive and hungry, so they just fucking attack people. Yeah. But it got me thinking about... What do you do if you're attacked by a dog? Or if you see a dog that may be about to attack you? So I went to go look up online what you do exactly. And that one of the first things they tell you to do is do not make eye contact with the dog. Okay. Uh, And that also you should say stiff and immobile. So this way you're sending the message that you are not a threat to the dog. Okay. Because dogs can sense your fear, so it's important that you stay calm. But they also say if the dog attacks you and they're small enough for you to fight back, you should use your weight against it and strike or grab their neck to get them off you. Yeah. But if it is too large for you to fight off that way, they say that you should... Lay on the ground and get in the fetal position and protect your neck, head, and throat. Okay. And this may stop the dog from attacking once you seem that you're no longer a threat. They advise you also, if you see a dog approaching you like that, do not wave your arms around or kick with your legs or do anything like that. The dog may see those actions as being threatening. Okay. They say a lot of times when dogs are attacking is because they are scared or they're confused. So the less you do to confuse the dog, the less of a chance it's going to lash out and attack you. Okay. That makes sense, but it's counterintuitive to the way that I thought. I Well, I... I had an incident a couple of years ago. I was out walking Abigail, and across the street from me was this German Shepherd. And I saw it approaching us at a slow gallop. Yeah. And I stood actually still, but I was in a fighting position and staring down the dog. Yeah. But the dog did eventually stop, and it went back to to the house where it came from. Oh, okay. So obviously, I did a few wrong things there. Yeah. But not to, at least the dog went away. So that was the important thing. They also said that what you should do is stand sideways to the dog and keep them in your peripheral vision instead of facing them. This way, this will also send a signal to the dog that you're not a threat. Okay. And they said, don't, if a dog approaches you, don't put your hands out or extend your arms uh, to keep your fingers curled into a fist to avoid losing a finger. Yeah. Uh, they say the dog may come close to you, may actually just sniff you and without, without even biting you, but be prepared. Yeah. They say do not make a run from a dog like this unless you are certain to get away from the dog. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Nine out of ten dogs are faster than you. Of course. If a dog is big enough to be a threat that you could think to run away from, it's faster. Than I mean, I've, I've always thought that if I had to, like, run from a dog and I was, like, on a street or a neighborhood, I would probably try to hop up on top of a, of a I car. I was going to say, get up on top of a car. Yeah. And- That'd be like the only thing I could think of to do. Yeah. They also say that once the dog is like in, I guess, your perimeter or whatever, try to distract the dog with an object or something else to take it off of you. And they say once the dog, if the dog calms down, that you should just walk slowly away. Do not try to run away. Just walk in a slow, calm manner. And then the rest of they say, if the worst happens and the dog leaps at you and attacks you and it won't stop, it says to either hit or kick the dog and the throat. Throat, nose, or the back of the head. And that this will stun the dog and give you time to get away. Fair. They yeah. also say to raise your voice, yell for help. And lastly, they say, fight as if your life depended on it. Because it may. Because it will, Which is yeah. true. Yes, you don't want to hurt the dog, but if it's a situation where you're being bitten by a dog, yeah. and not just once and it's taking off, it's attacking you repeatedly. Yeah. 
you may have to hurt the dog in that kind of a situation. Absolutely. Right? And then lastly, if you are bitten, clean the wound immediately and go see a doctor. Especially if there are signs of infection. Yes. Because you also, you may need a rabies, rabies vaccination shot, depending on if it's an unknown dog or if a dog that hasn't been vaccinated for rabies. Yeah. You may also, also need a tetanus shot. Yeah. Because it's a puncture into your skin, you know? So that's the story on dog attacks and what to do. Uh, yeah, I suppose. A lot of it makes sense. Have you ever been in a situation where a dog attacked you? I have been in one situation where a dog genuinely attacked me. Okay. Um, I was like, I don't know, I had to be like nine or ten. The babysitter was watching me and my brother... And I, I had gone out on my bike to ride around, you know, like we were allowed to do yeah. in the good old days. Yeah, right. Be home by streetlights. And I was riding down the hill in front of my house because I lived at the bottom of a hill. Okay. So I would just ride up to the top and ride down because the babysitter was there. So I didn't want to go too far. Yeah. So, you know, you ride up and then you go real fast down. And my uh, across the street neighbor's dog, I think, was probably just very excited, right? Because I'm going very fast by. And it bit my leg, and I fell off the bike, but the dog ran away. Okay. Right away, because I think, you know, I was a child and screaming, and I don't think the dog meant to hurt me. Probably um, not, but... And, you know, everything ended up fine. We knew the neighbors. We knew the dog. The dog was generally sweet enough, not a very sociable dog. Yeah. But was fine, so... Everything was fine. We didn't press any charges or anything. I went to the doctor. I didn't have any punctures. I had a bad bruise on my calf. All right, that's not bad. For then. like yeah. two weeks. Yeah, that's not bad then. Yeah. Um. Other than that, you know, just little dogs that you know are all bark no bite. Well, of course, that's yeah. that's my Abigail. Yeah. Please, <laughs> she barks at all these big dogs, but once they're near her, then she cowers and keeps quiet. Oh yeah, God right? forbid the door gets open and there's the big dog. Yeah, outside. exactly. <laughs> She's uh, right back in here. Yes, she is. My good girl. Anyway, so that's a story on that. We now move on to our Dictionary of Dogs, our Canine Compendium. Woo! And we are up to the letter O. 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 Oh, my Lord. And today's dog is the Old English Sheepdog. Oh. Would you like to see a picture? Oh, I love a sheepdog. Isn't dog. that beautiful looking? Oh, they're gorgeous. For those of you who don't know, they emerged from England, appearing uh, sometime in the 18th century from uh, crossbreeding of herd dogs. It's also known as a shepherd's dog and a bobtailed sheepdog because uh, I guess the tail's the dog's tail was what they called dot back then. It was basically okay. removed. Yeah. The breed was exported to the U.S. in the 1880s, and by the turn of the 20th century, five of the ten wealthiest American families bred and showed English sheepdogs. Really? Yep, they're very popular show dogs. Yeah. They stand about two feet tall and weigh between 80 and 110 pounds. Oh, wow. They have a double coat. Uh, the, the puppies, I did not know this, are born with a black and white coat, but that eventually can change over to other colors. Oh, wow. I, I didn't did not know, know that. that. The only time that English old English sheepdogs shed is when they are brushed. Really? Yes. It is recommended that they be brushed at least once a week, which can take one to three hours. Oh, my God. 
right? <laughs> it says, without regular care, the coat can become a trap for dust, debris, yeah. urine, fecal matter, and moisture. God, one to three hours. One to three hours of brushing a dog. We're lucky if we get one to three minutes out of this one. Jeez. <laughs> I know, right? But this guy is a very intelligent, sociable, and adaptable dog to most really? situations. It has a clownish energy and may try to hurt people or other objects. And they are, like I said, they adapt well to most settings. Famous old English sheepdogs include, I don't know if you remember the old Disney Shaggy Dog movies? Yeah. That was an old English sheepdog. Okay. Also, from the Archie comics, Jughead had a dog named yes. Hot Dog. That was an old English sheepdog. And I don't know if you remember the comic strip for better or for worse. I don't believe I do. It was about this fa- uh, fa- fa- married couple and their kids, and they had an uh, old English sheepdog named Farley, which later became the father of another English sheepdog named Edgar in the comic strip. Okay. It told the whole story of this family, just like traced the whole family's time. and huh. like, It was really, really excellent comic strip. Yeah. And then lastly, Paul McCartney had a uh, sheepdog really? named Martha. Martha. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> if you remember the White Album song. Of course I remember Martha, my yes, dear. So yes, exactly. So oh, that was my Paul God. McCartney. He had okay. an old English sheepdog. I did not know that was about a dog. Yeah, you never knew that? No. <laughs> now you know. And I consider myself a fairly big Beatles fan. Right? I can't believe you didn't know that. Shame I'm sh- on you. I'm shocked I didn't know that. Really? You should be ashamed. I really should. <laughs> Where'll I tell Paul? Uh, he'll be so furious. <laughs> uh, but I think that's it for then for heavy petting. We now move on to our next segment. Happy birthday. Many happy returns. A very happy birthday. Yes, it's time for today's birthdays. Ooh. And for today's birthday, it's only one person whose birthday I thought worthy of discussing. Okay. Dead, of course. Obviously. Her name, she was born Bayula Bell Thomas in Arkansas on November 1st, 1898. One of 13 children, raised in Texas. God. She was born into a musical family, and she sang and played in the local Baptist church where her father was the deacon. But at okay. night, she would sneak out with her brothers to go see tent shows. Ooh. And then that's where she eventually started performing and became a known blues singer. She became... She eventually got married to a man named Wallace, and her professional name was Sippy Wallace. Sippy Wallace. Yep. She eventually moved to Chicago, and she recorded over 40 songs between 1923 and 27, accompanied by people like Louis Armstrong and King Oliver. Okay. She ranked with Ma Rainey, Alberta Hunter, and Bessie Smith as among the top female blues singers of her era. But in 1929, she gave up her career, moved with her husband to Detroit, and was the singer and organist at the Baptist Leland Baptist Church in Detroit for 40 years. You know what? Good for her. She then emerged from retirement and resumed her career in the 1960s. And in 1966, she recorded two albums. In 1982, she released another album called Sippy, which earned her a Grammy nomination for Best Traditional Blues Recording, and for which she won the 1982 W.C. Handy Award for Best Blues Album of the Year. Oh, my God. Right? Can you imagine just coming back and then having all this success? I can't believe I've never heard of this woman. Well, you're going to hear her sing in a minute. This is one of her songs from the 20s that she sang. But this is her song, I'm a Mighty Tight Woman. (laughs) 
her in the 1920s okay now this is her in like 1966 the song called women be wise The great Sippy Wallace. Yeah. She uh, died in 1986. She uh, she had a given a concert in Germany and she suffered a severe stroke. Uh, she returned to the United States and died on her 88th birthday in Detroit. On the birthday. Right. You know what? Honestly, though, easy mm. dates. Yeah. You right. just got to remember the one. Just like Shakespeare. Yeah. So to Sippy Wallace, the great blues singer, we say... Happy birthday! Love me some sippy. Yeah, wow. I just I, I just looked her up on Spotify, so I have her up. Oh, good. That'll good. be my ride home tonight. <laughs> Riding with sippy. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for our next segment. <laughs> Yes, it's time once again for Bring Out Your Dead. And we have two deaths this week, both of them television actors known primarily as. Okay. The first one died on October 26th of this year at the age of 80. He was born in California. By age 12, he was already six feet tall. Oh, my God. He grew to a total height of six feet eight inches tall. His first film role was in 1977 film Brigham, in which he played Joseph Smith. In 1983, he shaved his head for a role in a science fiction movie called Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin. So the producers of this TV sitcom liked his look so much that they uh, asked him to keep it when he came to audition for a role in a show called Night Court. And he got the role of bailiff Aristotle Nostradamus Shannon, also known as Bull. Bull Shannon. Are you familiar with the show Night Court? I'm not. It it's ran for well, it ran before your time. It ran from 1984 to 1992. Yeah, it's one of those shows that I've heard so much about, and it's just been in my periphery forever. But I've just never ever caught an episode. Here's a clip. <laughs> Some wrong, Bull. All day long, I've had the strangest feeling that someone's watching me. Why? Do you hear laughter? <laughs> No, I hear footsteps. And when I stop, they stop. When I run, they run. And when I dance, they dance. Well, I think you're just being paranoid. What was that? What? There's nothing there. 
I know that, but when I turned my neck, I heard something pop. <laughs> well, there goes that last brain cell. <laughs> yes, he also voiced characters of Harvey Dent and Two-Face in the DC Animated Universe series, Batman the Animated Series, really? and the new Batman Adventures. Really? Yes. Okay, so I've definitely heard his voice I'm before. sure you have, then. Yeah. You just don't know him as Bull, as most no. of us do. As a, as a Batman fan, through and through, I've definitely heard him before. <laughs> I'll be posting a clip on our bonus material of a clip from Night Court. It, it's the, uh, from the season, from the series finale, in which he leaves the show with aliens. <laughs> it's very funny. Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, so that was our first decedent this week. Our second decedent this week. He was born August 19th, 1969 in Massachusetts. Raised in Canada after his parents separated. He had his first role as an actor at age 10 in a sitcom. Throughout the 80s, he appeared on several sitcoms including three episodes of uh, Growing Pains in 1989. Okay. Then in 1994, he joined the cast of a show called Friends, mm. playing the character of Chandler Bing. Of course, we're talking about Matthew Perry. Yes. He was the youngest cast member at the time, at the age was of 24. He? Yes. Oh, my God. And the show ran till 2004. In 2002, he was actually nominated for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series uh, Emmy for playing Chandler Bing. Course. But he also, later on, he received uh, Emmy nominations for his performances on The West Wing uh, and in some TV movie called The Ron Clark Story. Okay. And of course, as we all know, know uh, he suffered from severe addictions to drugs and alcohol. Yes. But through his recovery, he became an advocate for rehabilitation. He became a spokesman for the National Association of Drug Court Professionals. And in 2013, he received the Champion of Recovery Award from the White House Office of National Drug uh, Control Policy. Oh, wow. And then only last year, he released his memoir called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. Yeah. He's going to be missed. I, re I I enjoyed him so much on the show. Yeah, he it, this is this is my nerd shit now. But he was uh he voiced a character in my favorite video game of all time, Fallout New Vegas. Really? Yeah, he played the main one of the main antagonists of it. In the beginning, he shoots a character in the head and he like kind of misses, but you spend the first the first act of the game is just finding him. Okay. And his voice performance is really, it's really good, except for there's one scene, if you play as a woman, you can have sex with his character. And it is, <laughs> it's truly some of the worst voice acting I've ever seen. Oh, heard. no. But I, tr I really fell in love with him through that, and oh, it, God. it hit me pretty hard. He was a good actor. I, I enjoyed when he was on The West Wing. He appeared in a couple episodes of that, yeah. and he was great on that, too, you know? It's just, you know, he He's only eight. He was only fifty-four years old. He's so young, right? It's crazy. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it just sounds like his body just took so much abuse. I mean, yeah. he, he said he was an alcoholic since he was like age 14. Yeah, I, I, that'll do and it. And then I think know? he got injured in some kind of like skiing type accident, and then he became hooked to pain. Uh, Painkillers, pain yeah, that don't you know your body can only handle so much of that, right? So just this is an awful loss, I thought. So to Richard Mall and to Matthew Perry. Thank you for the entertainment. Rest in peace. Yes. So I guess we'll move on to our next segment then. Today in history. <laughs> or as Tommy likes to call it, Patsy and the Coconuts. Yeah. 
Today, on November 1st, 1604, this Shakespearean play was performed for the very first time. Can you name which one? I'll give you three guesses. Three guesses. All right, all right. Can can I narrow it down? Yes. First. Yes. Uh, it's a tragedy. I'll, t- I'll give tragedy? you that clue. Yes. Okay, that'll... That- that takes out like eighty percent of his plays. I figured that. Yeah, that takes out the histories. Yeah, <laughs> all the comedies. Yes, it's a tragedy. Okay. Um, the first tragedy on my mind, and this is just a wild guess. Othello. Othello is correct. It was Othello. Yes, yes. Okay. Performed for the first time in 1604 on this date. Yep. Did you know the roles of Othello and Iago are two of the five longest roles in the Shakespeare plays? I think I knew Othello. I don't think I knew Iago was. The the longest, I believe, are Hamlet and Richard III. Oh, Hamlet's easily the longest. And Iago actually has more lines than Othello does. Really? Iago has 1,097 lines. Oh, my God. Yes. And I'm going to be directing a production of this next summer. Have fun. I know. I'm going to have fun editing that. Better get a good Yago. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh, which reminds me. Have you ever seen the Laurence Olivier Othello? Oddly enough, I've actively avoided it. Yeah, I watched a clip of it today. I don't know if I put it on my list or not. I don't think I did. Uh, But I watched a clip of it earlier. Oh, my God. It's like you don't even look like a black man. It's like you had this, like, maybe it was just the color, the color, the film color, or I don't know. But it, it looks awful. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, like, stills, and I'm sure I've seen clips of it, right? As somebody who does a lot of Shakespeare. I take in a lot of Shakespeare, but I've seen some photos, and it's... And I watched a clip of it today, and what I didn't realize when they made this film, they didn't, like, adapt the play to the film. They basically filmed the stage performance. Yeah. So, Olivier just seems, like, so over the top in some of these scenes. In oh, my lo- God. In a lot of videos of Olivier, especially his earlier stuff and a lot of his Shakespeare, he just does Shakespeare the way that you do Shakespeare on, on stage, stage. not for film. For film, and it does not... And that's what was... Yeah, not yeah. good. I wish when I was younger in my day, the hot one of the hot tickets was a production of Othello on Broadway with James Earl Jones oh. and Christopher Plummer. Oh my God! I, I heard it was friends of mine saw. I said it was amazing. Yeah, I said I, it was really amazing. I the money I would have paid to see that. Oh right. My God. Well, moving on now. On this date, November 1st, 1611, this Shakespearean play <laughs> was performed for the first time. I'll give you a hint. It's not a history and it's not a tragedy. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna, as you like it. Nope. No, okay. It's not one of the traditional comedies. I'll give you that clue. Is it the anus play? Coriolanus? Coriolanus? No. No. Not one of the traditional comedies. God, but all of his comedies More of a fantasy, I'd say. Oh, Midsummer. No. 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 That was my three. Nope. The Tempest. The Tempest. The Tempest made its God. premiere back in yeah. 1611 today. I always forget The Tempest. How could you? You just performed in it this past summer. I was going to say, I forget it technically isn't a tragedy. No, it's not. It's a fantasy. It's, it's I a mean, fantasy. It's, it has comedic elements, of course, yeah. to it. You know, it's a love story, but it's a, it's also it's a fantasy, yeah. too, you know? 
It's one of his best. I love if Tempest. If not, I mean, it's his, his last best. play. I think it's his most poetic. Oh, yeah. And it's the one where, you know, he did his self-insert. Oh, yeah. As Prospero. As Prospero, basically. Oh, yeah. boy. Which is a role I'm so honored I got to play. Yeah. And I'm sure you're thrilled so, you'll never have to do it again. Yeah, that was that was a large role. Ooh. Large role, to say the least. So, yes, yeah, so that happened. But then we're going to go forward now a few centuries. Ooh. Going up to November 1st, 1944. This play, written by a woman named Mary Chase, opened on Broadway. Uh, involves a character named Elwood P. Dowd. And he has this imaginary friend, or we think is imaginary friend, that's a puka. That's a Yes, in the form of a giant rabbit. Oh, God. I'm not going to get the title. There was a movie version of it. I know, and I can... Jimmy Stewart in the lead role. I can see the movie in my head, Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but I'm not going to get the fucking title. (laughs) I guess not. The, The name of the play was Harvey. Yes. Oh, my God. Yep. Harvey. Fun play. I actually saw a revival of that a few years ago with uh, Jim Parsons yes. playing Dowd, who was great. He was, it was a good production overall, but Carol Kane was in it. She had a small role as the hospital superintendent's wife. And she has this one scene with Dowd. Yeah. She basically stole the show in this one scene. Beautiful. She was so fucking good. It was amazing. Good play. It's a little dated now, but still it's a fun play to do and to see. It really is. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's so hard for a show not to be dated. Right. These days. Yeah. So that happened today. Then going a few forward, a few decades forward from that, Today, in 1972, on the ABC network, for their movie of the week today, November 1st, they showed a movie called That Certain Summer. It starred Hal Holbrook, Hope Lang, and Martin Sheen. Huh. Hal Holbrook played a divorced man in a relationship with another man, played by Martin Sheen. Wow. And he's now preparing for his son's, his 14-year-old son to come visit for the summer and preparing how to tell him that he's gay. Okay. This was the first, considered the first sympathetic depiction of gay people on American TV. Yeah. Um, it was also like, the, it was also the first to depict a gay parent. It was also the first gay-themed show to win an Emmy because oh, wow. the actor Scott Jacoby, who played the 14-year-old, he won an Emmy for his performance. Okay. But it was very controversial. Oh, I'm sure. They had first approached uh, the producers or the writers that first approached NBC about doing it. They said they wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Of course not. They finally got ABC to do it, and it, that that took some working to do. One of the things that ABC insisted on was that certain lines be inserted, because they didn't want the movie to be seen as taking a pro-homosexual stand. Mm. So at one point, they have the father telling the son that some people think that it's a sickness, homosexuality. And if I had a choice, it isn't something I'd pick for myself. Of course. So that guy made some controversy, Uh, of course. But uh, also, they also insisted that there be no physical contact between the lead actors and not even lingering eye contact between the two men. Oh, my God. That's how chaste they were playing this. Of course. But it received a total of seven, uh, seven Emmy nominations. Wow. Including Scott Jacoby, who won, and also for Hal Holbrook and Hope Lang. Good. And years later, they interviewed Martin Sheen about this. And he was saying that when, you know, I was offered this role, people saying it was going to be a career render for me to play a gay role. And he's like, I played murderers. I played rapists. Yeah. 
And this is going to end my career? He's like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> in a nutshell. Of course. Said. But yeah, that was a that was a very big moment in uh, television history. Oh, absolutely. show that film. Huge. Right? Yeah. Really was. And then lastly, on this date, on November 1st, 1994, this Terrence McNally play opened on Broadway, directed by Joe Mantello, starred, among other people, uh, Nathan Lane, and it won the Tony Award for Best Play, and John Glover won the Tony Award for Best Performance by a Featured Actor in the play. It's a play about eight gay men who take these weekend holidays in the summer. Do you know the name of the play? I don't... Th- I'm running through my Rolodex of Joe Mantella directing in my head, and I don't think I know the name of this show. It, Terrence McNally? Doesn't doesn't ring a bell to you, huh? No, I, of course I know who Terrence Well, McNally I know that is. does, with the play title, I mean. No. Love, Valor, Compassion. Okay. Okay. Have you ever seen it? I haven't seen it, and I don't think I've read it. I've, I've read... I've never seen it. I've read the play. It's a great script. Yeah. It really is. There's a movie version of it, and from what I understand, goes Nathan Lane, who had basically the like one of the best roles in the play, yeah. got into some kind of like tiff with Terrence McNally. Oh, really? So when they made the movie, then Jason Alexander took over his role. Of course. He was still good, but I'm sure Nathan Lane would have been better. Obviously. But the best role probably was that of the one that John Glover played. He plays twin brothers. Oh. They're both gay. And one is dying of AIDS. Oh, my God. And there's a scene where he's talking to his brother while he's lying in bed. And I, I can't describe it. It occurs in the later half of the play. And it's just yeah. an incredible scene. And it's like, no wonder John Glover won me Tony for this. Of course. This is, yeah. So if you ever get a chance to see a production of it or see the film, yeah, I, I highly that. recommend it. I think I might seek that one out. Yeah, it's definitely worth seeking out. It comes a long way from, like, the boys in the band, you know? Yeah. It's the same kind of thing. It's about these group yep. of gay men getting together. Still one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. Oh, Boys in the Band? Oh, mm-hmm. yes, definitely. Although when I first saw it, I was like, oh, my God, these queens are giving me a headache. <laughs> oh, they, these queens still give me a headache, Patrick. But and I, I love I, the movie. But, I, yeah, <laughs> I learned to love the movie a lot. I really do. We now move on to our next segment. What day is it? Could you please tell me? What day is it? I'm confused, you say. But yes, welcome to What Day Is It? And of course, the Festival of Sam Hain has already passed now. It's being past sunset. Samhain, Patrick. Well, Samhain it's pronounced. Samhain it's uh, pronounced. Well, I don't want to confuse our listeners. Uh, that's fair. I grew up with a <laughs> Wiccan mother, though, so... But yes, we are talking about Halloween having just passed, but originally known as Samhain. Samhain. Yes. <laughs> I'll be that pretentious <clears throat> bitch. Now, just I, I bring this up because there are other because of the other holidays that are involved on this day. Basically, it's it was a Gaelic festival which marked the end of the harvest season and the beginning of the beginning of the winter, yep. or the darker half of the year. And like I said it always began on the evening of October thirty first and ended at sunset the next day, which is today. It's considered the halfway point between the autumnal equinox and the winter solstice. Okay. Now, of course, today is also All Saints Day. Yes, All Saints Day. In the Christian calendar, which is a day to celebrate in honor of all the saints of the church. It's also known as All Hallows Day. The Feast of All Saints, the Feast of All Hallows, the Solemnity of All Saints, and that's how we get the name Halloween, because Halloween is 
All Hallows Eve. Yeah. Hallow Evening. Yeah. Hallow Eve. Halloween. So that's why I got to laugh when people say, oh, Halloween's a demonic holiday. It's... <laughs> no, it's not. So the, it's not. So it was a devil's It was day. a pagan harvest festival now combined with Christian elements. Yeah. And all these demonic elements didn't come about till the Christian elements came into the holiday. Yeah. And they're not, I mean, witches. Witches weren't considered de- demons. No. Even though, well, the Puritans all thought that and stuff. Well. And black cats. And, I mean, it's like, come on. Grow up, people. It's yeah. not a satanic holiday. Enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to go out, walk around at night, be spooky. Right. But today and tomorrow is a celebration of the Day of the Dead in Mexico. Yes. For those of you who don't know, this is a holiday that's rooted in pre-Spanish traditions and combined with Catholic traditions. And it is actually a remembrance and celebration of the dead. It's not really a solemn holiday. It's more of a celebratory holiday. People create altars consisting of candles and photos of their dead loved ones, as well as their favorite foods and items cherished by the deceased. Families will go to cemeteries to decorate the graves with flowers and sugar skulls. Yep. And they will even bring their favorite foods and even have hire musicians to perform at their grave sites their favorite songs. Yeah. And um, I think that's a that's a great way to celebrate. It's the a dead, phenomenal way to celebrate. And to make of, it a celebration, not just a solemn, sad affair. Yeah. A lot you know? of people don't know as well. The sugar skulls are a very popular tattoo. And a lot of people don't know that they come from, excuse me, that they come from the celebration of the Day of the Dead. Yes. Exactly. That's where it stems from. Yeah. So we can thank them. We can thank Mexico for that. Yeah, but that's not all it is today. There's more. <laughs> My God. Today is also National Brush Day. National Brush Day. Yes, it's observed on the day after Halloween to reinforce the importance of children's oral health and promote good teeth brushing habits. I suppose if there's a time to celebrate. They say on this day, parents are encouraged to make sure their kids brush their teeth for two minutes twice a day. Because dental decay is the most common chronic childhood disease in America, with more than 16 million kids in the country suffering from untreated tooth decay. Oral disease causes kids to miss 51 million school hours and their parents to lose 25 million work hours annually. God. So kids, take care of your teeth, and parents, take care of your kids, and make sure they brush their teeth. Yeah, don't be like me, 26 years old, having all these teeth issues. I know that feeling, please. Uh, I know that feeling. But that's not all it is today. (laughs) Today, and I think Indy will like this holiday, your partner in crime. Today is also World Vegan Day. World Vegan Day? Yes, it celebrates the benefits of veganism for animals, humans, and the natural environment. For those of you who don't know, veganism is the practice of abstaining from the use of all animal products, especially in diet, and it's a philosophy that rejects the commodity status of animals. Yeah. I have to admit, when I was younger and I first heard the word vegan, I thought it was people who worshipped the star Vega. (laughs) It just seemed to make sense. Yeah, no, it's it's that's a very A and B connection. It, it makes a lot of sense. Right? <laughs> but vegan diets tend to be higher in dietary fiber, magnesium, yeah. folic acid, vitamin C, vitamin E, and iron. But it is also lower in dietary energy, saturated fat, cholesterol, omega-3 fatty acids, yep. vitamin D, calcium, zinc, 
and vitamin B12. So, so a lot of and you need a lot of those things, especially yes. those vitamins. So if you're on a vegan diet, you need to take some type of supplements to fill those deficiencies. Yeah. And because otherwise, if you're not if it's a, if you're not doing this diet right, you're gonna have worse health problems later on. Yeah. If you're not doing this healthily. So if you're going to go on a vegan diet, I would suggest going to your doctor first. Check on, let him do an assessment for you first before you go on the diet yeah. to see if you are possibly at risk for any health problems resulting yeah. from such a diet. And as somebody who lives with a vegan and who pretty regularly at this point eats vegan food because it's easier than cooking two separate dinners. Um, vegan food has come a long way in the past even five years. You can get fake meat that's surprisingly good. What Wait, wait, wait. What is fake meat? It's meat, but fake. What do you mean? How is it? What is it made of then? I could not tell you, Patrick. I have not looked into the science. I know that it browns like ground meat and it tastes enough like ground meat that I am fine with eating it. I know. When you're telling me fake meat, yeah. That's like saying fake fruit. It's like, why would I eat the fake stuff when I can eat the real stuff? I eat it because it means I have to cook one less meal a day, Patrick. Oh my god, fake meat, that's... But no, there's these, uh, it's called Impossible Meat. Burger King has had their Impossible Whopper. Yeah, I've heard of for that. For quite a while. Yeah. I haven't had that specifically because I don't eat Burger King. I worked there for too long and the food disgusts me. Right. But, you know, I've eaten the Impossible Meat. It tastes fine. I've had, like, some Impossible or, like, fake chicken nuggets. They're whatever. But, like, the fake cheese you can get is has come miles in the past decade. Like, there's fake cheese that tastes like real cheese now. Right. Which is very good for somebody who can't have cheese like me. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Now, you and Indy, since you both are call, uh, refer to yourselves as vegans... Oh, I'm not vegan. Oh, you're not vegan? I, I just ate chicken with you. Oh, that's true. <laughs> what am I saying? Yeah. Okay, so you're not a... But Indy is a strict vegan, right? Indy is vegan, yes. Now, is she also strict that she also abstains from the use of other products made from animals? Um, there is a lot of contention in the vegan community about a lot of animal products. Yes. Um, in honey is the big one that there's a lot of contention of because a lot of vegans say that, oh, honey is an animal product and it's the abuse of the bees that's getting you this honey. Um, however, the honey alternative, agave, uh, agave syrup or agave nectar, which a lot of vegans use instead, is one, worse for the environment okay. than honey is. Um, if you do research, I researched it like three years ago, so the information I'm telling you, I would tell you is three years outdated. Okay. But the plant isn't as sustainable as the bees are um, because of, you know, overuse for tequila and, you know, now the additional use of the agave nectar. It's just worse for the environment in general. And the fact that bees create honey in excess every year. So if you're going to a reputable local beekeeper. Right. And you're getting this local honey, which Indy and I tend to do just because it tastes better. Um, and we use it as a cooking ingredient. Okay. Quite a lot. Um, <clears throat> if you look into that person's practices and they're only taking enough for them. Okay. Uh, and leaving enough for the bees because bees don't need all the honey they're making. It's a perfectly sustainable practice. And these people who are beekeeping, their rate of like spontaneous hive death. I don't know if that's the like exact word for it, but that's what's been affecting the bee population so right. much in the past decade is lower than wild bees. Okay. So it's just a more sustainable practice to support your local beekeepers and eat the local honey. So would it be fair to say that Indy is not, is primarily a 
dietary dietary vegan. Indy started out as a dietary vegan. I can't speak to why they're still a vegan. Okay. You know, it could be for something as simple as like, oh, I eat meat and my stomach hurts now, which is what a lot of, which is what happens to a lot of vegans. Of course. You know, you don't eat meat for four years and then you eat it. Of course your it's body, affect you. Yeah, your body doesn't know what to do with it right? anymore. But I think a lot of it comes down to sustainability. We try, both of us generally try to live a very sustainable lifestyle. Okay. So a lot of it is that Indy is, Indy doesn't wear leather when it can be avoided. Right. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff as okay. well. So you have to make some compromises yeah right like if again it's the leather if you know the source and whatever yeah it comes down to a lot of the same stuff as bees does as bees do rather okay but you know pleather the fake leather is also horrible for the environment because it's plastic you know would you rather wear a leather coat that you know if you put it in a landfill it's going to decompose in 10 years or a plastic coat which is going to stay on the earth for the next millennium right so a lot of it comes down to just sustainability okay yeah. Well, good to know all this. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, happy World Vegan Day. Indeed. <laughs> we now move on to our next segment in which we turn our head and cough. <coughs> That's it? That's all you're going to give us? That little... That's, sorry. <clears throat> Let's do this again. <laughs> we now turn to our next segment wherein we turn your head and cough. <coughs> <coughs> Okay, that's better. That's there you better. This will be a short segment. Just a reminder, get your flu and COVID shots. Yes. It's that time of year. I mentioned it before, but I'm going to say it again. Get your flu and COVID shots. I'm going for one of my shots this weekend. I'm not getting them both at the same time because I usually have an adverse effect from the COVID shot. So I'm going to do the flu shot first and then do the COVID shot a week later. Yes, but schedule them while you can because I had to reschedule mine twice because of the weddings that I had. Okay. Uh, so I had to, I scheduled it once and it was the day before the wedding, the first wedding I went to and I didn't realize. I had to reschedule twice for my COVID and the flu, but there were originally seven pharmacies I could go to near me. And by the time I got it this past Saturday, there were two pharmacies near me. Okay. Because there's only apparently limited amounts of the COVID shot. Wow. Yeah, they're low this year. Um, and I'm sure it's just because, like, you know, production decreased since we were in the height of a pandemic. Yeah. Um, but schedule them as soon as you can. And as, you know, a young, generally healthy person, I got both of mine at the same time and... It wasn't awful. You know, I was very tired for a day. I slept for 18 hours and then... That's the, next... the way I usually feel from the COVID shot. Yeah. And the I'm... flu shot, the worst is I get a sore arm. Yeah. And I had a very sore arm for the next two days. But like I said, I got it on Friday. I have full mobility. Yeah, I always arm. do these shots on the weekends in case yep. there is serious effects or adverse effects. But go do it. The worst that happens is you're really sleepy for a day. Yeah, right? And then you don't get COVID. Yeah, I can I can I can live with that. Yeah. Right. We now move on to our next segment wherein we take a look into my briefs. And this week on our look, we're going to look at three states that are suing to disqualify Donald Trump from running for president. Ooh. What's going on is the states of Minnesota, 
Uh, Michigan and Colorado have filed suits to disqualify Trump under the Section 3, Clause 3 of the 14th Amendment. I'm sorry, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And so far, I believe Trump just recently countersued in Michigan about this. Now, what does Section 3 of the 14th Amendment say? I'm going to tell you. It says, No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. Now, this clause was written, this whole thing, of course, was one of the Civil War amendments. Yep. And it was primarily used against former members of the Confederacy. But as I was doing some of the history here, it wasn't really enforced that heavily. Enforcement generally lies with Congress, but it doesn't say how it's to be enforced. Mm, okay. And from what I've seen so far, it uh, between Reconstruction in the 1870s, 60s, and 2021, Section 3 has only been invoked once. Huh. It was used to block a socialist candidate for uh, the House named Victor Berger from Wisconsin, who was convicted of violating the Espionage Act for opposing U.S. entry into World War One. Okay. So they invoked Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to prohibit him from taking a seat in the House. But his conviction was eventually overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court, after which he was then elected to three successive terms in the 1920s. Okay. So that's the only time it's been invoked. Now, so far, Trump had moved to dismiss one of these lawsuits in Colorado, but the judge dismissed Trump's motion. And oh. he, he cited an opinion written in 2012 by a Denver appeals judge who then named Neil Gorsuch, huh. who was on now the Supreme Court. Yeah. And back then, he wrote that the states have the power to exclude from the ballot candidates who are constitutionally prohibited from assuming office. Okay. So he's so that so they're already saying like yes, the states have standing and a basis yep. to make such you know to make such a move against Trump. Uh, she stated that while rejecting Trump's claim, but it seems that also behind these lawsuits, there's been a lot of legal scholars on both the conservative side and the liberal side that are saying, yeah, Trump is disqualified under the insurrectionist ban. Uh, it makes sense. Yeah, but it's not for them to issue the final ruling. Eventually, you know... <clears throat> This is going to go before the U.S. Supreme Court. Of course. But, I mean, we also have to remember that the House committee that investigated January 6th, they already recommended that Trump be barred from holding office yeah. under this section. So the question is going to be then, did Donald Trump engage in an insurrection or rebellion under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment? That's going to be, have to be the question that the Supreme Court eventually will be having to answer in this. Yeah. So stay tuned. Oh boy. Yeah. Because God knows when this will be finally decided. Yeah. So that's it for this this week's look into my briefs. Now move on to our next segment. Yes, it's time for the week in fascism. 
And we got a few stories on for this week. Oh, boy. Well, the first one being about, of course, we have the Israel-Hamas war going on. Yes. But uh, this past Tuesday, the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, testified before Congress and said that anti-Semitism in the United States is reaching historic levels. Yeah. And yeah, it is. It was already high before this war started. Yeah. Anti-Semitism is probably the highest hate crime that occurs in the United States. And what's been going on, not only here, but around the world. I don't know if you heard what happened at Cornell University. No, I don't believe I have. They have an online forum for uh, I guess there was an online forum for fraternity and sororities and one of the students there began posting threats against Jewish students on campus. Oh wow. They eventually, I think they arrested this student yesterday or today. But it's like Students at the university then were like uncomfortable then gathering anywhere at the university because of this. Of course. Right? Then, uh, I don't know if you heard what happened in the Russian Muslim Republic of Dagestan. No. A plane was arriving from Israel. So a crowd of people stormed the airport shouting, there is no place for child killers in Dagestan. And they were basically searching the whole airport, holding like holding people, asking to see their passports and everything. Oh my God. This is what's going on, like I said, not just here, but around the world. Yeah. The Anti-Defamation League, they said they have cataloged a 400% increase in anti-Semitic incidents in the United States. Since October 7th, when the war began. I I can't say I'm shocked. No. It's truly awful. But, especially with Cornell, and you hear about all these protests that are going on, these universities, and they're... Even those are devolving in anti-Semitism. Yeah. You know, you can support the plight of the Palestinian people without being anti-Semitic. Yeah. You can oppose the policies of the Israeli government without engaging in anti-Semitism. Yeah. It's very easy to do. Just because you don't like, you know, the policies that the IDF is enforcing doesn't mean that every single Jew you meet is awful. Chances are most of the Jews you meet don't support the things that the Israeli government has been doing. Well, even before this war happened, there was a whole controversy of Netanyahu's proposal to restrict the jurisdiction of the Israeli Supreme Court. Yeah. So that it couldn't rule on the government's laws on their constitutionality. Yeah. And now there's a whole big controversy or pro- massive protests about that. Now you don't even hear about that because of the war. Because of what's going on now, yeah. So yeah, so there's been lots of opposition to Netanyahu and the government, yeah. you know? I, in my life, there are very few Jews that I know personally who support Netanyahu and what his government has been doing. It's a right-wing government. Yeah. It's a far-right government, and I, myself and most of the Jews I know, feel that it is not representative of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's just insane to me that there are people who can't separate the two, Judaism and the Israeli people, or Israeli government, Israeli as you regime, say. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's... I think they conveniently choose not to. Yeah. I think a lot of these people were already likely anti-Semites, uh, and now they have a very convenient excuse of... Well, that was like when, and I'm going to talk more about this guy a little later on in this segment, the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson. <sighs> His proposal was, let's just send military aid to Israel and not to Ukraine, and we'll cut the IRS's enforcement budget to pay for it. And I'm, oh, I heard that, I was like, all these bigots are out there saying, oh, look, it's the U.S. government supporting the Jews again in Israel. 
Yeah. And we're going to pay for it with the, by cutting the IRS and all those rich Jews that are going to get away with not paying taxes. Of course. That's the, that's what the perception is going to be. Yep. You know? Exactly. I was, just, I was just like, come on, enough, enough. It's fucking insane. Yeah. And I have been arguing with people for weeks and I'm truly out of things, new things to fucking say about it. It's truly atrocious. Yeah. No, there's, I said, there's no excuse for the anti-Semitism. This no. war is not an excuse for it. No. There is no excuse for it anymore. No, absolutely not. It's Gear of Our Lord 2023. We can't be fucking behaving like this anymore. Right? I mean, it's been 80 years since the, since the Holocaust. Haven't yeah. we learned anything in that fucking time? Clearly not. No, obviously not. So that was the first story on this segment. Also, this happened, the next story takes place in California. Last Wednesday, there was a scheduled drag time story hour at the San Fernando Library, and they were forced to stop it due to protests from far-right groups and anti-queer groups, such as the Gays Against Groomers, the California State Coalition, and Leave Our Kids Alone. There were about 60 protesters. They blocked both entrances to the library, and they also confronted the drag queen who was performing there named Pickle. God. So they ended up canceling the event altogether. Of course. My question was, because I was I read quite a few news stories about this. Why weren't these protesters who were blocking the entranceways to a public library arrested? Yeah. Why weren't they arrested? I don't get it. They're allowed to block the public library? To me, that's just the police collaborating with this. Of course. You know? Yeah, it makes no sense that they should be allowed to do that unless there were obviously collaboration involved. And yeah. I would be far less than shocked. I mean, how can you let that happen? If it was Black Lives Matters protesting in front of those doors, in front of a library, you damn well know they would have started arresting people. Absolutely. But no, gays against groomers, blocking a drag time story hour, nope, we're not going to make any arrests. No, it doesn't matter. That one's not important. Yeah. just And that's another thing. Gays against groomers. Fucking insane. Yeah, it is insane. I, I hold them in the same league as the log cabin Republicans. Yeah. You know, I don't. I I just I don't understand it. Maybe it's because the queer community is not so much a community anymore that we don't have as much interaction between gays and lesbians and bi's and trans people. I, I mean, don't know what it is. Yeah, that's. I mean, I've bitched about how you know, growing up as a young queer person, the community just wasn't there. Right? There's you know all of this online community, but unless you know where to look, right now you don't know what you're getting, and there's no in-person community anymore either. I mean, I had an argument on Twitter with someone, a, a gay person on Twitter, about this whole thing about drag queen store, drag time story hour. And it's yeah. like, how can gay people support the oppression of trans people? Yeah. I don't get that. It's, I don't understand. So their leash is a little bit longer, Patrick. It's you know. it's shameful. It really is shameful. It's disgusting. And then lastly for the week in fascism, we can talk about the newly elected House Speaker Mike Johnson. Oh boy. Now, I'm not going to get into, we already know, he's a Christian nationalist. Yeah. He supported Trump's claims that there was massive fraud in the election. He voted to uh, object to the certification of the electoral votes from Arizona and Pennsylvania. We know he's a scumbag. Yep. What really disgusts me is that when he was elected, he was elected unanimously 
by the Republican members of the House. I mean, I'm... Unanimous support for this man. I'm disappointed, but I'm not shocked. It just confirms to me that this, to me, marks the Republican Party's full embrace of authoritarianism, of Trumpism, of this... Christian nationalist movement. Yeah. It, this is what this party is now. Yeah. It's their full embrace of fascism at this point. Like, there's no other way to put it. No, there is no other way to put it. This is not my father's Republican Party. Hell, my, my father resigned from the Republican Party under George W. Bush. He's like, this isn't my party anymore. And that was over 20 years ago. Yeah. It's even worse now. Yeah. And I said, Johnson's election as speaker just confirms it. Absolutely. And I, I hope people realize that. I really hope they realize that. It, I, there used to be respectable Republicans. There was a time in my life that I, as a human being, remember that I did not hate somebody because they said, well, I'm a Republican. And now it's just synonymous with me for oppression and fascism. Yeah. So it's just become this poison that I, you know, can't tolerate. I don't trust anybody that tells me they're a Republican. It's absolutely... See, I mean, like, when I have friends who are Republicans. I, I, people I work with who are Republicans. I don't alienate myself from them. I work with them. I socialize with them. Yeah. The only power they have is the power of vote and the power to donate money. Exactly. I'm talking about these all these party officials, all these elected government officials who are members of this party who yes. are in power. That's what I'm talking about. And it scares the crap out of me. Yeah. It's it really does. Dreadful. Yeah. Well, on that down note. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln. Yeah. I think we'll move on to our next segment, a little happier one. <laughs> Yes, it's time for We Like to Watch. Ooh. And what have you watched this week? I watched this week, obviously yesterday, I was watching scary movies. But I've recently, and you'll laugh, I've recently gotten very into the WWE. Oh, no. Yes. Why? Because it's long form live storytelling. Okay. I'm not watching it for the wrestling, obviously, but, like, feats of athleticism are very cool, but I'm not watching it thinking that the wrestling is real and unplanned. I fell down a rabbit hole on YouTube a few months back of the storytelling of wrestling, and it started with, like, The Undertaker, the most famous wrestler other than Ric Flair, right, of all time. And it was, like, how he became who he was, and, like, he just recently retired, so he was doing all these interviews. And it was just, like, super interesting to see, like, how he, you know, became who he was and the industry and how he had to present himself. And that fell down to weeks of me researching it. And I would, at one point, it, I just got to be like, okay, well, now I have to watch it. And it's live theater. It's just live theater every week with men pretending to beat the fuck out of each other. And it's raunchy and it's dirty, but there is truly some heartfelt storytelling that happens. Oh, God. There is. A, oh, and God. look, I'm not going to tell you that you need to watch wrestling. I'm not going to. Don't worry. <laughs> Please feel free. I'm surprised you were never into wrestling. A young Shawn Michaels, Patrick? There's, well, there's the WWE wrestling, which I have no interest in. Of course not. Then there's sports athletic wrestling, which I don't mind watching at all. <laughs> I mean, Patrick, WWE. Because those are men. They're young men, 
great bodies, wearing those sling unitards. In the, <sighs> in the, in the mid to late 90s? The way a lot of these men were dressing. I'm Never surprised. had any interest in WWE. Really? None. Shawn None. Michaels was a little hotty. I'm surprised. No, so I had no interest. He's my favorite. He's, oh my God. His whole gimmick was like, I'm better than you and I'm hot so you can fuck off. <laughs> and I love that because the it's not art. Right? Oh, it definitely is not art. I don't. It's go entertainment, <laughs> but it's not art. Exactly. I don't go into it expecting art, and it's just big beefy men and big beefy women beating the shit out of each other. And I get to watch it and turn my brain off. But yeah, I've been busy with rehearsals for a show, so I haven't been watching much. Uh, yeah. Well, I've been watching plenty. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> First, we watched, uh, well, I, I won't say any particular order we watched them in. We watched a series on Netflix called Bodies, B-O-D-I-E-S. Okay. Good sci-fi murder mystery series. It's all about this dead body appears in this alleyway on one day in four different time periods. Okay. Or three different time periods, from like 1890 up to the current time. Yeah. And about the policemen in each of these scenarios investigating the story of what's going on with this dead body. Okay. Really good series. Held my interest. Entertaining. Yeah. I highly sounds, recommend it. It sounds really like it might be confusing because of the different storylines. It's not. It's not confusing at all. It's easy to yeah. follow. It sounds really interesting. Yeah. We really enjoyed that. Really liked that one a lot. Then we also watched this... 2018 movie called The Apostle. I've heard of that, and I've it gets recommended to me. I never time. heard of it before. We just happened to see it. Stephen recommending he saw the description, wanted to watch it, so we put it on. It stars uh, Michael Sheen's in it. Yep, and Dan Stevens, who I love. Okay. Love him. And it's all about this man, played by Dan Stevens. It's like 1904, and it takes place somewhere in the United Kingdom. And he goes on his search for his sister, who has been kidnapped by this cult headed by Michael Sheen on this Ooh. isolated island. Ooh. And he goes there undercover to try to find her. Excellent. Scary? No. I wouldn't say okay. scary. No. It's a mystery. There's even a, a fantasy element to it, but not overwhelmingly so. Okay. Really good. I definitely recommend that. Yeah. It gets recommended to me on Netflix. Okay. Under like horror and suspense. Yeah, I definitely watch it then. It's worth the watch. Okay, yeah. It's a little slow going in the beginning, but it definitely holds your interest. Okay, good. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep an eye out. So I'll definitely recommend that. Then we also were we have one more episode of it to watch. We started watching the series on uh, Amazon Prime Video Gen V. I haven't heard of that. Did you watch, do you ever watch the series The Boys? I watched the first season and some of the second season. Okay, because we watched all those seasons. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, that's a series on Amazon Prime about this group of guys who are trying to take down these superheroes yeah. who are now basically being corporatized and marketed to the public. And really good, this show is like sort of a spinoff of it. Okay. It take, takes place at a school for young aspiring superheroes. Okay. They all have, their parents gave them that uh, V-drug the or whatever, which drug, gives them yeah. superpowers, and now they go to this school. Okay. Um, this is not, don't think like, oh, it's about high school kids. This show is not for high school kids. It's definitely <laughs> for adults. Uh, it's bloody. It's sexual. Yep. Spoiler alert. One guy gets his dick literally exploded. 
Didn't and that... you see it happen. Wasn't that also in The Boys, though? Maybe, but it happens here, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. But good series. Big thumbs up on that. All right. And then lastly, because it was the night before Halloween, and it was uh, we, we watched the original 1931 film Dracula uh, with Bela Lugosi. Phenomenal. I love the movie. It's a bit dated. It's Of course it's dated. It's a bit dated. I mean, part of the problem is I think they used because it was I think based on the stage play. And I think it kind of like holds it back a bit. The best part of the movie is everything up to when he goes to London. Yeah. When Renfield goes to the castle to sell the to sign the lease for the land oh, yeah. and everything that happens in the castle and everything. That's by the whole best part of the movie. But Bell Lugosi, of course, the, the definitive Dracula in my book. The Dracula. Without a doubt. Yeah. What I love about this movie reminding me of what I love about movies in general, at least movies of this of the 20th century the sets oh my they god they used actual sets yeah and it's like fuck cgi that's why when i see these films and oh all the wonderful cgi big deal it's cgi yeah it's people in a fucking green screen there are these sets in the film in dracula they have this whole long staircase like in this tower yeah phenomenal looking oh my, oh my god. god there's so many great scenes like that that's a like great cinematography in the movie without yeah. a doubt it really is I saw it, it's probably been at least a decade and a half. Yeah, I can't remember when I last saw it. Yeah, but I remember thinking, oh my god, this is fucking beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, just some of the cinematography is just incredible. So yeah, so if you want to trip down in the past, watch Dracula. Yeah. If you want to make it a double feature, watch Frankenstein, which came out the same year. Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know they the same, the same year. year. Which I think is the better movie. Of course it's the better Definitely movie. the better movie. When he throws that little girl into the lake. Oh, God. One of the best scenes oh, of all time. Oh, my God, right? You know, they only oh. did two takes of that scene. And in order to get her to do a second take, the little girl, um, the director, whose name I can't remember, had to promise her to get her whatever she wants. And she wished for uh, a dozen hard-boiled eggs because her mother always had her on, like, a strict low-cholesterol diet. Okay. Because, you know, we were horrible to children back in the 30s. <laughs> we treated them like shit. Oh, my God. Um, and she did it again uh, because the first time she didn't sink. She didn't get thrown out far enough because the actor didn't want to drown the little girl. <laughs> Oh my god. So the second time, you know, she got thrown out and she sank, and the director got her two dozen hard boiled eggs for doing the scene again. <laughs> That's just a little shitty trivia you get oh, to know. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. You just reminded me of a story about that series Gen V I forgot to tell you about. There's a sequence in the movie, there's one character who is insane, I guess, or clinically insane. And he's also super strong, and he has this whole fight scene where he kills a whole bunch of people. But they did it with puppets. <laughs> and Steven was telling me afterwards, they did it with puppets because the scene was so bloody and so graphic, they couldn't do it with actual people. Oh, my God. So they used puppets instead. That's fucking crazy. And it's a great <laughs> sequence. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, I had to tell you about that. That's so Just to funny. watch that, that was great. That yeah. Was, yeah, I had to tell you about that. So that's it for We Like to Watch. We now move on to our next segment. God, Karen, you are so stupid. Yes, time for stupid people. Oh. And this one I got is a doozy, but not surprising. Her name is Candace Owens. 
Jones. Okay. Yep. She's a conservative political television pundit and podcaster or whatever. She's an asshole. Yes. You name it, she's against it. Well, it seems that at a recent event, an audience member said to her, there are dozens of words for two-spirit people, people that would now be considered LGBTQ or trans people in the native languages. Trans people were around then. I'm just wondering why you think it is that trans people are only here now because the media is telling people these things. Candace's response? Well, do you think it's weird that I graduated with zero trans people? What do you think has contributed to the explosion of transgender people from the time that I was in high school. I can answer that. Maybe because it's more acceptable yep. and they're becoming more visible. That's why. But she went on. Is this like a Native American child? Like high smoking and talking about your spirit? Jesus. I'm asking you seriously because when I think of Native American tribes talking about their spirits, I know that they used to smoke a lot. They used to do drugs. They also were cannibals who used to eat people. Uh, uh, she continued, It's historical knowledge that there were trans Native Americans? I really don't think that's historical knowledge. I don't think there were trans Native Americans. <laughs> I feel like... So she managed to insult trans people and Native American people yes. at the same time. <laughs> Double whammy. I, I feel like I just had an aneurysm. <laughs> Every point that you stopped felt like it could have been the end of that sentence. No, and it just got worse. And it just kept getting so much worse. I mean, yes, we know she's ignorant because I know, yes, two-spirit yeah. people have been known about in not only Native American cultures, but in other cultures around the yeah. world, though in, not necessarily called two-spirit. Yeah, in, every, in almost every indigenous culture in the world, there has been something similar to the two-spirit yep. you know, tradition. I don't know if that's the right word, yeah. but to that kind of culture. There's yeah, been something exactly. like that. Exactly, it's always been around. Yeah. But then they go on and say, oh, they use drugs and they are cannibals? And they're cannibals? What is this, 1842? Jeez. I mean, I have no recollection in the history books of Native Americans being cannibals. No. I, never in my life. I could be wrong, I but someone can show me that, but I've never heard of that before. So something tells me it's not true. There's record <laughs> in every culture of cannibalism happening. And 99.9% .9 of the time, it's, oh, they were about to die, so they had to eat the people there with I them. I know, but she's not saying that. She's no, saying, oh, she's... no, they did drugs and ate people. Yeah, they were high on peyote and eating everybody. So, <sighs> so to Candace Owens, we say, Stupid! You're so stupid! Fucking ass. God. <laughs> But that wasn't the only stupid person this week. This one's a returnee. I swear he's going to be the stupid person of the year. Can you guess who I'm talking about? I don't think I can. He's a billionaire. A stupid billionaire. A stupid billionaire. There's many. I'll go Elon. Elon Musk is correct. Of course. On Monday on X, formerly known as Twitter, he wrote, The word cis is a heterosexual slur. Shame on anyone who uses it. God. Now, folks, according to the dictionary, cisgender <laughs> refers to an individual whose gender identity corresponds with the sex the person was identified with as having at birth. Yes. Gender has nothing to do with sexuality. Yeah. It has nothing to do with heterosexuality. It has nothing to do with homosexuality. The term cisgender originates from the Latin prefix cis, which means 
on this side of, which is contrasted with trans, which in Latin stands for across from, or on the other side of. Yeah. But this isn't the first time he's talked about this. In response to a complaint about the use of the term in June, he wrote, repeated targeted harassment against any account will cause the harassing accounts to receive at minimum temporary suspensions, adding that on this platform, the words cis or cisgender are considered slurs. Now, never mind that he's already changed the policies to make it less safe for transgender people to be on X. Uh, he allowed a policy uh, now, well, he ended a policy that prohibited the misgendering or dead naming of transgender people. Yep. That's now allowed. Not to mention the constant hostility against transgender people on X that he does nothing about. Uh, it's astounding to me that he's continuing to let this happen. Because what's astounding to me is this man keeps saying the most stupid shit I've ever heard a rich man say. Why does, mean, he Why does he feel compelled to keep saying shit? You don't hear Warren Buffett every week saying stuff like this. You don't hear... Oh my god! He's the the mindset of any attention's good attention. He's that spoiled brat at every birthday party who's kicking, screaming, and crying because it gets it gets attention. Yeah. Obviously. But I don't understand how he's letting this kind of shit fly on Twitter X. Because uh, it's losing advertisers. Of course it is. Like, you want this company to be even outside of the horrible, bigoted shit you're saying. Especially after earlier this week, he mentioned about how he wants to turn X into a financial center where you can do your banking. And I'm like, I wouldn't trust Elon Musk with my piggy bank. Yeah. You think I'm going to go on X to do my banking? Yeah, it's insane. You want this to be a reputable business venture for you. How are you... How can you possibly think that McDonald's is going to be like, you know what, publicly? Yeah, fuck trans people. And they're not going to think that that's going to lose the money. I know. It's fully fucking insane. It is insane. It really is. So to musky Elon, we say... Stupid! You're so stupid! God, you're so fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Julie Andrews, take us away! Raindrops on roses... Whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. I have your Tommy orgasm over this. Over oh, I, I don't. I'm not Tommy. I can't. <laughs> Yes, it's time for five faves, folks. And tonight okay. we went with a simple, easy category. We were asked to name our five favorite songs about dogs or with the word dog in the title. And Bryce, what's your first choice? Uh, okay, so my first choice uh, is a song about a sci-fi television series. Okay. Uh, called Canine's Lament about the dog Canine, uh, the mechanical dog Canine. It's just K, the letter K, nine. It's about the dog Canine from the television show Doctor Who. Um, and it's just a cute, kitschy little sci-fi song made by a rock band that I like. All right, let's see if this is it. Should be. Very early 2000s. Right? Oh my god. And you're a man that I will never forget. But nobody ever remembers the past. He took me from the year 5,000 
said he was looking for droids He was my master, his attention I did crave To him I was nothing more than a slave We saved creatures all across the galaxy But nobody ever thought to save me Okay. It's, like I said... Can't kitschy, say I'm familiar with that one. Kitschy little song about a sci-fi show. <laughs> it. I was very... I still am very into Doctor Who, but when I was younger, in, like, middle school, early high school, it was my entire personality. Oh, my God. So I was very big into it, and there were two or three bands that were making... Whovian Rock. Okay. I can't remember exactly what they called it at the time, but I got very into those bands, and that song, <laughs> it holds a special place in, in, in Little Me's heart. Well, my first choice is a song I referred to earlier, and that is the Beatles song, yes. Martha My Dear. Martha My Dear, I spend my days in conversation. Yes, I had to include that. I love that song. It's one of my favorite tracks on that album. And I can't believe you didn't know it was about an old English sheep I, I can't fucking believe it either, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite songs on that album, and I never knew it was about a dog. Now you know. Now I do. <laughs> and you know what? That makes it sweeter for me. Aww. Because I love my dogs. Aww. So what's your next choice? My next choice was an obvious one, based on the season and the movies we've been watching. It's from Rocky Horror. Uh, it's called Planet Hot Dog from the Rocky Horror Show. I'm not familiar with that. You, when you hear it, you will be. Don't get hot and flustered. Use a bit of mustard. You're a hot dog, but you'd better not try to hurt her. I've never known that that was referred to as Planet Hot Dog. I see. I listen. It's to never it. listed as a song on any recording of I've seen. If you listen to specifically um, the original Off Broadway, the original Roxy cast, okay, where Meatloaf also plays Doctor Scott. Yes, which I listen to all the time because I fucking love Meatloaf's yeah. voice. He's great. Uh, it's listed on there as Planet Hot Dog, and I had to include wow. it. Wow. Because... Now I learned something new. There you go. It's <laughs> the spooky season. Also, just generally, listen to the original Roxy cast version of the Rocky Horror Show. It's great. Yeah, it is good. I had that recording, too. So I love Sword of Damocles. Oh, my God. It's great so good. Great song. Anything Meatloaf sings on that, too, especially. Right? He's so young. His voice is still hot. Like Exactly. My next choice, I had to go with this, the David Bowie song. Okay. Diamond Dog. Yeah, I didn't actually have any Bowie on my list. Really? Yeah. I, I don't had... know how many, how many songs he's written about dogs, but he has this one and I had to put it of on. Of course. <laughs> Oxygen 10 You ask for the latest boy 
Mannequins with Kill Appeal. I love that line. It's such a good song. <laughs> it I'm is. shocked that I didn't have it on mine. Oh, really? I know. I'm disappointed <laughs> with myself. Oh. So what's number three for you? Number three for me. I've been going in order so far. Number three and four were tough for me to pick. Okay. But for number three, it's a song called Oh, How the Dogs Stack Up by a post-rock band called Mogwai. It's one of the songs I listen to to learn my lines for uh, plays that I'm in because it's this like really droney guitar instrumental. Okay. And it's one of my like, you you listen to a lot of instrumentals as well. Yes, I but do. But it's like the first one on that playlist that I see it every time I'm trying to study my lines. So I couldn't not include it. And let's give it a listen. my line learning playlist. It's just that very repetitive noise that doesn't engage my brain so I can do something else. Oh my god. Well, for my next choice, I went and got a little funky with some George Ooh. Clinton and oh. some Atomic Dog. That song. Great song. Oh my god. Every time I hear it, it's like, gotta start dancing. <laughs> of course. My next song is one I'm surprised uh, hasn't been on your list. It's a Led Zeppelin song. Oh, I don't have it. Called Black I Dog. knew you were going to say that. Hey, hey, mama said the way you move will make you sweat, will make you groove. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised s- I hadn't thought of that one. I was 
shocked that it wasn't on your list. Well, I had so many other choices. I know. It was the second song that popped into my mind when I heard it. It was like, ooh, songs about dogs? Gotta be Black Dog. Good choice. Good song. Oh. I love those Jimmy Page guitars, man. Oh, those guitars. Uh, and when he could still sing. Oh, Robert Back Plant. in the day when Robert Plant still voice. had a voice. Right. Oh. My next choice is about a specific dog. Mm-hmm. With a name named Quiche. Quiche. Quiche Lorraine. Quiche Lorraine. The skies are charcoal gray. It's a dreary downtown day. But at the end of my 30-foot leash, my little friend. Yes, I had, to, I had to have the beefy twos on there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it took me a second to put together. I was like, who is the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who else, who else would do a song called Quiche Lorraine? I, to be fair... About a dog named Quiche Lorraine. My first thought was Frank Zappa. And I feel like <laughs> that was also a very valid assumption. So like, it's fucking Frank Zappa. No, 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 no. That's a beefy twos. <laughs> So what is your fifth and final choice? I believe we share a fifth and final choice. Oh. Hey, Bulldog. Yes, that is my final choice, none too. None other than the, the Beatles. Beatles. Uh, Without a doubt, I think it's one of the best Beatles songs Oh, my God. Ever. It's totally underrated. It, it astounds me that it doesn't make the top ten list no. of Beatles songs. Because it, it absolutely should. It's so, so fucking good. Right? <laughs> Good. The intro with all of the instruments slowly yeah. coming and in. And the lyrics to this. So good. Are amazing. Which is why McCartney and Leonard is still, I think, among the best songwriters ever. Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of people don't know it because it's on their worst album. Yeah. It They put their best song on the worst album ever released I by know. the Beatles. Right, yeah. And it's such a crime. It's yeah. so fucking good. Because it's such good. a great song. Yeah. It really is. Oh, can't get oh enough of that song. I, 
I think about that song at least three times a week. <laughs> Just, oh, I'm glad we had a good, we had that choice in common. Yeah, me as well. I thought you thought we were going to have more in common, but so did I. I thought you would at least have Black Dog on there. Nah, I don't believe it. I did not. But yeah. I had to make room for all these other ones. I know the choices we made. I know I had to. I had to throw Planet Hot Dog in there. Otherwise, <laughs> I probably would have gone to Bowie. All right then, which now leads us to our final segment. Get off my lawn. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. Yeah, it's time for the grumpy old gay man gripe of the week. Yeah. And what's your gripe this week, Bryce? My gripe's a, a pretty a pretty specific one. Uh-oh. That has happened to me a few times over the past month or so. Okay. Um, so I am usually not a very outspoken person on social media. Okay. I generally try to avoid being on social media as much as possible. I'm I'm one of those it poisons your brain people because it poisoned my brain. <laughs> Probably not everyone's, but it didn't do good things for me. So I just kind of took my leave. But I've been pretty outspoken over the past few weeks about the Israeli Hamas conflict and i've gotten quite a few people uh message me only to go on long tirades about you know how i'm a bad person because i'm supporting x side and i'd you know want to see the other side all be dead if i had the option yeah so and as a jewish person myself you know who has no real other connection to this conflict it Outside of, you know, the glaring atrocities committed by so many people. Yeah. It is very frustrating for people to come into my direct messages, not even to comment on a public post. Because if I make a public post, you're entitled to say whatever you want to me. But to come into my direct messages and attack me based on what you think I am has been so infuriating over the past two to three weeks and it it's just further enforcement of my social media is poisoning everybody's brain and we <laughs> all need to leave okay so my gripe is just don't be an asshole because somebody posts one thing that you don't fucking like well i think you know, with this whole issue that there are some people who see it either as just a simple black and white issue. Yes. Either you totally support Israel and what it's doing, or you're supporting Hamas if you're not totally supporting what Israel's doing. Yes. And vice versa, you know? Yes, and it's not... It's not a black and white issue. No. It's, it's so much more complicated and complex than that. Yeah, there are thousands and thousands of innocent lives lost on either side. I mean, yes. Was Hamas wrong to engage in this attack? Yes. Yes, of course. Is Israel, is Israel justified to retaliate and engage in a war against Hamas? Yes. yes. We know what the horrors of war are. We've always seen them. Yes. You know? And are Hamas's, some of Hamas's tactics very dirty? Yes. However, you know, there are thousands of children on either side dead over this. And for me to post something about there are children dying and for you to use whichever gen agenda you feel like you, you prefer to come at me and attack me... 
because I said that 40% of the people that died in this conflict are children. Because that is true. That's true. Out of the 9,000-ish dead, three to 4,000 are children. Yeah. It is an abhorrent fact. It doesn't matter who's killed the children. Children are dead. And for you to use that to come and attack me and say, well, Israel is just doing what's right, or, well, Hamas is just doing what they think is right, doesn't, you don't need to make an agenda out of dead babies on the streets, please. I know. But I also have this whole problem, I mean, yes, I know there are laws and rules on government war and stuff, but it seems that we're holding, or people are holding Israel to the standard that we haven't held other countries to engaged in conflicts. Yes. You know, we're blaming Israel for all the civilian casualties that are occurring. I don't hear people saying that so much about other conflicts, that this country is not doing enough to avoid civilian casualties. No. Unfortunately, war involves civilian casualties. That's a, a fact of war, unfortunately. Yes. If we held even America to that standard during the Afghanistan-Iraq conflict, the amount of outcry would have been astounding because the amount of children that died... In- you could make that argument back to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, yeah. the dropping of the atomic bombs. It's so easy you know? to uphold these morals when you're not the one involved. But the second it's your country doing it, it's fine and necessary. I know. But I just think, I just think it's, you can't see this as just a simple black and white issue. It's a lot more complicated than that. And I just think it's a no-win scenario. No. Everyone's fucked. Yeah. And that sucks, but that's... But people need to, especially on social media, it's just not a place to engage in these kind of debates. It's very easy to say this kind of stuff and think of what, you know, if you were in person, would you say this, would you be saying the same thing in person? None of these people would be saying any of this, but there's the mask of, well, it's the internet, so you can't get me. I know. That people love to use. Yeah. (sighs) <sighs> All right, so a, a, a good gripe for the week. Yeah. Mine's a bit more mundane than that. Yeah, fair. Now that Halloween is over, Christmas is two months away. <sighs> I am so, I am d- dreading the onslaught of Christmas shit that's posted on social media from like this day all the way through. It's like... yep. We haven't got a holiday yet. Let's enjoy Thanksgiving. I don't understand why we need to celebrate Christmas for two months beforehand. I People are just so crazy about it, and I don't get it. You know when Christmas season starts? December 25th. And then it goes on for 12 days. Yeah. That's Christmas season. Look, I'm fine with it even bumping up to Black Friday. I'll deal with that, but let me eat my fucking turkey and ham <laughs> without Mariah Carey Screaming in my ear. Yeah, I know. It's it's, yeah, it's, it's too like, much. Put the brakes on it. We don't need to be celebrating Christmas yeah. on November 27th or whatever the day, the day of the Thanksgiving is, you know? Yeah, and like I said, I'll even deal with it. I don't care. But we, there's a whole other holiday. Exactly. We can't just pretend that it doesn't exist. I know. Because we like the music or whatever. <laughs> Listen to the Charlie Brown Christmas album if you really want Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> 
because it's wild. It's Christmassy. People who don't know it think, "Oh, that's some that's some nice jazz." Yeah, it is a great jazz. It's album. a great jazz album. It's Garaldi trio. Yeah, but if you're in the know and you're like, "Is that Vince? That's Vince." <laughs> Then you know it's Christmas. Yes. It's not Christmas yet. No. So that's my gripe for the week. Yeah. Perfectly reasonable. Thank you. Which now brings us to the conclusion of this week's episode. And I want to thank Avery Bryce Dallas Howard Powell for filling in for Tommy tonight. Of course. Thank you for having me and feeding me and letting me be on this podcast. Absolutely our pleasure. It's been too long since we've had you here. It has. Like I said, I was telling Indy before we came, like, I need an excuse to go over there. Well, we gave you one and I'm glad we did. As am I. And Tommy, stop trying those weird sexual positions and... (laughs) Get your back in water. All right. Well, hopefully we'll see you next week. And for those of you, don't forget, you can find all our episodes plus our bonus material at www.grumpyoldgaymenandtheirdogs.com. And you can follow us for postings on Facebook and on the site formerly known as Twitter. And I think that's about it. We'll be back here next week. Hopefully Tommy will be here with us. And that's about it. Anything else, Stad? No. No, that's it? I don't have anything else really to add. Okay, then on that note, we'll say have a good night, have a good week, have a good life, and we'll see you next time. Bye, bitches. You can't say that. Tommy has a copyright on that. You need another (laughs) sign-off. You gotta say something else. I'll cue you in again. Hold on, wait, I gotta think of something now. Okay. So, So, on that note, we'll say have a good night, have a good week, have a good life, and we'll see you next time. Peace out, female dogs. I couldn't think of anything. I couldn't do it. It'll do.